You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Father, it is so true. There is no one like you in this whole universe. Thank you, God, for opening our eyes to see this reality. God, thank you for moving our hearts to accept you, Father, and to be men and women who have been adopted into the family of God. God, we pray this morning very simply this prayer. God, would you draw our affections to you in a greater way today through the worship and through the word of God. God, we want to love you with all that we have. God, we want to want you more than we do currently. Oh, Father, would you be so gracious to allow your spirit to move us to a place where we see you ever the more clearly this morning and our hearts are drawn to you with such clarity and such passion that we can't and no one can deny the existence of our God. Father, do these things today for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take a seat this morning. We're going to be in Psalm uh, chapter 63. Psalm 63. If you don't have a Bible, please put your hand up. We would love to get God's word into your hands that you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take it home with you. This is our gift to you. It's God's gift to you through us. We encourage you to read it and to study it and to seek to know God through it. God will show himself real in your life through his word. We are convinced. And so Psalm 63, we are starting a new whole new sermon series uh, today. A year-long theme so far has been simply this, you are loved. And uh, we started every sermon for the last seven weeks now with that phrase, you are loved. We've ended every sermon sermon for the last six years with that phrase, you are loved. I am praying, we are praying as as staff, as elders, that that you will have, you're coming to see this truth in greater ways, that your perspective and your purposes are being changed through the truth that God loves you. We're praying this also that you'll find fullness and freedom in Jesus Christ for that truth. Not just that you'll know it, but it'll change the trajectory of your life because the reality is, the reality is this this morning, that God has obviously and intentionally poured out his love on you, not that you will go on as normal, not that you will notice him a little bit more, but that you will do something with his extravagant love, that God's love will impact you in a way that it'll change your life. If I were to pull the audience this morning and ask you, what does God want you to do with his love? I'm sure I'd get a whole bunch of answers. What does God want you? How does God want you to respond to his love? What's the first thing? Don't shut it up, but what's the first thing that pops in your mind? Some of you be this. I know God wants me to be obedient and just, just follow his commands. I know some of you are probably thinking this. Uh, God wants me to serve him and, and be more faithful in service. Or, or God wants me, because he loves me, to worship him to a greater degree. Or maybe some of you are thinking, well, God wants me more committed to church and to go to church. And I know some of you are thinking, well, if I knew God's love, God wants me, well, how does he want to respond? He wants me to, to treat other people nicer, to love people, to do good things. That's what God wants me to do because he loves me. He wants me to do more good things. Ultimately, I think what we come down to is God wants me to be a better follower of Jesus. God wants me to be a good boy or a good girl. To respond to God's love, that's what he wants, just for me to be a good boy or a good little girl. And to all those things, yes, 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 but there's something deeper that God wants, something more significant that God wants in your life and from your life as you respond to God's love. And you know what it is? It's simply this. God wants more than any of those other things. God wants you to love him in return for his love. That's first and foremost. And all those other things flow from that one place. All those other things emanate from that one place. It emanates from a heart that doesn't just see the love of God, doesn't just understand the love of God and embrace the love of God, but a heart that also wants to pour out our lives for God in love. 
This is what God has longed for us from the very beginning. Just, 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 he longs for from us the same thing that a, that a man longs for from a woman he's about to propose to, to propose to. He gets on one knee and he says, honey, I love you. You're the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I am willing to commit my whole life to you. What's the one word he's looking for? What's the three words he's looking for back? It's not like, oh, that's kind of sweet. You're so sweet, honey. What's he want? I love you. Yes, I see your love, I understand your love, and I love you so much that I'm willing to commit my whole life to you. This is what God has said, Old Testament, New Testament. It's not new, it's not rocket science, but it's something I think we have to be brought back to over and over in our lives. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five says, this is what God said in the Old Testament. It's not you shall follow all my rules, it's this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So the same thing in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39. Right, what's the greatest command? Someone asked God, Jesus, what's the greatest command, Jesus? Jesus says this, the greatest commandment, the one that's most important to me, the one I desire the most from, for, from you is this, you shall love the Lord your God, you know it, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is what God has called us to, asked of us in return for his love. First and foremost, he wants us to love him back. What does that look like? What's that mean? How does that play out in my life? Well, from now until Christmas, we're going to unpack what it means to love God and live out the first commandment. Because if we do all the other things, we miss out on the love for God, we've missed it all. And so from now to Christmas, we're going to study what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to have my heart truly abandoned to the God who loves me? And I can't think of a better Christmas series than learning about how to, how to have greater affections for the God who came for us at Christmas. This is our Christmas series, and this is our series leading right up to the, the new year. And so here's where we're going to start, Psalm chapter 63. Let me read this for you. Here's where it starts. It starts with a heart that desires God. How do I love God? What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to live out the first commandment? Here's what it means. It means to have a heart that desires God above all else. Listen to what David says here in Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Psalm 61 and 62 and 63 go together and it's, it's a time when David is on the run and, and here's what he says as he's in the middle of nowhere longing for not just anything but longing for God. Look what he says in verse one. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is, get this, better than life. My lips will praise you so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in your shadow, in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Verse eight, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. I don't want you such a powerful truth as I read this. I, I read this and I'm like, yes, God, that's what I want my heart to be longing for. Anyone with me on that? 
Yes, God, would you do that in our lives? Here's the reality where David was. He was the king. It says at the end, he was the king, but it was a game of, of king of the castle going on. His son Absalom was, was gunning for the throne, and, and David found himself running in the wilderness, in the wilderness, away from his throne, away from his kingdom, away from all those that he loved, away from everything he, that he knew, including away from the sanctuary or the, the ark where the presence of God dwelt. And even in this place, look what David is asking for. Look what David is asking for in this place of lonely isolation where he's left to just be him and his own thoughts, him and the earth, him and his God. Look what he's longing for. It's significant because I think in those times what we long for is we long for peace and we long for all the things God can give us. What's David longing for? Not the things that God can give him. He's longing for God himself. Notice his prayer in here. He's not saying, oh God, give me my throne back. Oh God, if only I could be within the walls of my kingdom. Oh, oh God, if only I can have my family and friends around again. If only I can have food at my disposal like I once had. If only I can have the sanctuary. You know what he's asking for? He's asking for God himself. This is what it really means to love God is to desire God above all else. This is what it means to love God. It's not a token, oh, I acknowledge you're there, God. It's, it's not a token, well, let's see what I can do for you, God. It's a, I want God above everything else. Because when we have God, we have it all. And so here's the first thing I want you to write in your notes today as we think about what it means to love God. First sermon is this, it's desiring God and to truly love God means that I deeply long for his presence. To truly love God with all that I am means that I deeply long for his presence. Look at how this passage starts. Oh God, it's not like one of those times of, we hear this all the time at work and at school and at play. It's like, you find yourself in a dire situation. It's like, oh God, that's not it. It's not a flippant misuse of the name of God here. This is a like, oh God, my God, it says, you are my God. It's not you are a God or you are the God. You are my God. And look what he's saying here. Earnestly, I seek you. In the middle of the wilderness, David's realizing that the only hope for his soul is not in things, but it's in his God. And so what does he do? He turns to his God, and he seeks his God earnestly. He wants to be close to his God. One thing he desires in his heart is, just give me God. It says here, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David is really speaking to an eternal longing for God that consumes his whole being. Earnestly seek means to sincerely and intensely or diligently pursue that I'm gonna put all of my efforts of all that I have into one thing and it's pursuing the presence of my God. We know what it's like to earnestly pursue, but do we know what it's like to earnestly pursue our God? I know, you, but I know what it's like to earnestly pursue, to diligently seek like only one thing matters. Like, like, like in the morning when you're looking for your keys and you gotta get to that important appointment. And you're just like, there's one thing on your mind, you don't care about anything else, I just gotta find my keys. Or that, that time you're looking for your phone because that person you love so deeply is, hasn't called in a week and you know they're calling tonight at eight o'clock and you can't find your stinking phone. 
And so you earnestly look for your phone and you tear the house upside down for your phone or, or earnestly seeking like you, like you missed lunch and it's supper time now and you come busting in your doors and you're like, where's dinner, honey? Earnestly. Or earnestly seeking that glass of water if you just spent yourself outside all afternoon in the hot sun toiling over your garden or toiling over your lawn. You're earnestly seeking that glass of water or like you earnestly seek the doctor when your kids are sick and you're like, I don't know what to do. What do we well, we got to get him to a doctor. This is, what, this is the earnestly seek that David is talking about, but he's not earnestly seeking all of those things. He's earnestly seeking God because he knows that without God, nothing else matters. Why is he earnestly seeking God? Because he recognized to earnestly seek God is where his life is. It's like we don't go anywhere without our keys. David's saying, I'm not going anywhere without my God. Just like we can't miss that phone call. David's saying the most important person to commune with is my God. Just like we long for food and water. David's saying the sustenance of my soul, what I really need is God's presence. Like we earnestly seek for a doctor. David saying, I don't need a doctor, I need God. And when I have God, I have it all. This is, this is the eternal longing that God has placed in each of us to long for our God. If you're saved today, when you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you become born again. It means that from the inside, you are made brand new. And part of the brand new is you see life differently. You have a different desires in your heart and, and you don't desire sin anymore, you desire righteousness, but part of your internal longing that God makes you brand new with is an internal longing for God himself first and foremost. Because when you love God, and if you love God, you truly desire God. If you truly love God, get this, you truly desire God in the same way that David desires God. I've realized this truth over and over again in my life as I've journeyed through different places. One of the things I used to do for part of my job was to travel and to speak at different places. Back in 2008, I got the speaking engagement of all speaking engagements. I got to go to Japan for nine days to speak at a Christian school for their spiritual emphasis week. All expenses paid, got to fly there. I was like, this is, this is, like, this is fantastic. So got in the plane and flew for 18 hours or so. Felt like an eternity with my personality type. It was, it was going nuts. Got there. It was so neat to see a different culture and, and get to know different people. But guess what? Four days in, I started going squirrely. You know why? Because I just wanted to go home. All the nice people I met, all the food that I got to try, some of it good, some of it not so good. Four days in, I was like, you know what? Like, this is all fantastic, traveling the world and seeing things and being able to speak to a group of students in Japan. But you know what I long for more than anything? I just want to go home. Why? Because that's where my loved ones were. Day five, I could barely bear it. Get done speaking, just want to go back to my room. We didn't have cell phone plan covered, so you couldn't just call. You know, send an email, and you sit by the email, waiting for the email home. Is everyone okay? What's going on at home? Miss ya. By day eight, I was going out of my skin. Speaking was over. I had to wait for the plane. Longest flight of my life, 18 hours from Japan home. Must have made laps around that whole plane a couple times. Why? Because I, just, I missed my family so much. It even surprised me. But I just longed to be close to those that I love. This is the same reality that God has with us in our hearts that we ought to have for God a desire to be near God. If you don't have a desire to be near God, you have to wonder if God is even there. 
Because once you've seen God, once you've known God, once you've experienced communion with God, there is nothing in this life that compares to being close to our God. That's why we as Christians sometimes say, man, I can't wait to get to heaven. You're like, people look at even Christians, why? You can't wait to get to heaven. Life's so wonderful. Yeah, life's great, but you know what's going to be even better when I'm right in the presence face-to-face with my God? Let me help you understand this, brothers and sisters. When we come to Jesus Christ, you know the greatest thing we get in our relationship with Jesus Christ is not what Jesus gives us, it's we get God himself. We get God himself. Sometimes I think we've minimized our Christian faith to like, oh yeah, I get the cross, that means I get forgiveness of sins. Yeah, praise the Lord, we get forgiveness of sins, right? Uh, I get Jesus, we get all the spiritual blessings. It says that, we said it, studied it last week. All the spiritual blessings, yes we do, but, but even greater than all the spiritual blessings, even greater than having a protector and a provider and all the things, it's just God himself. What God desires from us more than anything is to desire his presence more than anything or anyone else. This is what it truly means to love the Lord. Think about it. When your friends come over, do you want them coming over to your house just to like scoop your food and, and take advantage of the things you can give them? No, you, you want them to, to hang out with you because they like you and want to spend time with you. Parents, you want your kids just to love you for what you can give them? Absolutely not. You want them to love you because you love them and want a relationship with them. Spouses, what do you want from each other more than anything else? All the benefits of being married? No, you want your spouse simply to enjoy your company and to long to spend time with you and love you. God's the exact same. To love God is to desire him and be totally consumed with him. The problem is we get so distracted by the things of this world, don't we? Don't we? And we say we love God, and sometimes the last person we desire is God. We love God for, oh, I need all the things we studied in the Love of God series. But when was the last time you longed for God just for God? That's what it means to truly love God. Here's what it looks like for a heart longing for God. God's, David's saying it right here. My soul thirsts for you. Just like my, my, my throat gets stuck and parched. That's, my soul is thirsting for God. My flesh is fainting for God. If I don't get God, I'm not gonna survive. Here's what it means to long for or desire God. Here's what it means in our hearts and our lives. And if you don't have these things in your hearts and lives, start asking God, God, give me a greater desire to desire you. Help me, God, want to want you. Because this is God's greatest desire for our lives, that we'd want God. Here's what it means to really want God. It's to comprehend God fully. To really understand his character and his ways. This is what it means to want God, just like it is with, with your friends. What do you want in your friendships? You, you, you want to know that person. If you really love that person, you want to know them and share in their, all their character. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I want to know God. I want to know you, God, and the power of your resurrection. Basically what he's saying is I want to know everything about you. I don't want to miss one thing about you. Here's what it means to truly desire God, to really desire him in your heart more than anything else, to know God and know everything about him. Do you realize this? I don't care if you've been a Christian for five years or 10 years or 20 years. You can never know enough about God. You've never gotten to the place where you're like, oh, I think I got God figured out now. I don't really need to spend time with him and seek to know him more. You can never get there. 
And the more you see him, the more you want to know him more because God's character is, is just mind-blowing. It's, he, he's different than any person you'll ever meet in this universe. He's playing awesome. And so desiring God is wanting to comprehend God fully and, and longing for those times in the word where you can just know the character of God. Desiring more than anything else for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the person of who God is. Heart longing for God who wants to commune with God intimately. To spend time conversing with the God who created you and formed you and calls you by name. Joshua in the tent of meeting, when they went, they used to have a tent of meeting in Exodus 33, and, and Moses would go in there and, and meet with God face to face. And Joshua, his young aide, Moses, everyone would come out of their tents and say, Whoa, this is a significant thing. The cloud would come over, and, and wow, he's meeting with God face to face. It was sort of like reverent, wow. When Moses came out, everyone went back to their tents, but Joshua, his young age, you know what he did? He sat at the tent just longing for a glimpse of God. Man, I want what Moses had. I want that face-to-facer. I want to know God in that way. This is what it means to commune with God intimately, wanting to know God more than you want to know the latest scoop on Facebook and see the latest tweet from whoever is so important to you. More than getting into your day, to, to long to commune with God intimately. Here's the third thing to be conscious of his presence daily. All day long, every facet of life, at home, at work, at school, commuting, at lunch, desire to be aware of God's ongoing presence in your life. I just want to know God. That's what it means to love God. All these ideas about loving God and doing all the religious things and looking good on the outside but having no desire for God, that's not loving God at all. That's not what God's looking for from your life. God wants you to love him. Psalm 42, verse one, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, oh God. Let me ask you this this morning before we move on to point number two. If loving God is desiring God, how much do you really love God this morning? No, really, how much do you really love God this morning? I asked myself that this week, and I have to humbly admit to you that I don't love God nearly as much as I want to love God or as I think I should love God. But I found myself praying this this week, God, help me love you more, God. Create in me that thirst, not for the things of this world. That doesn't satisfy. Having thirsting for the things of this world is like drinking a can of Coke, and it seems to satisfy it for a second. It just makes you thirstier. But thirsting for the things of God, the springs of living water, it actually quenches the very thirst of our souls. How much do you love God this morning? You know by how much you desire God. Let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, God does not just want you to have him on your radar. Like I've heard so many other preachers preach, well, as long as you're on, God's on your radar, you're good. No, no, God wants to be number one on your radar. God wants you to want him more than anyone or anything else in this universe. That's what it means to love God. Here's what else the psalmist tells us, David tells us. To truly love God with all my heart means that I stand in awe of his power and glory. How do you, how do you create a love for God in yourself? You don't create a love for God for yourself, but here's how it happens. Look what he says in verse two. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. 
because your love is, steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live. In your name, I'll lift up my hands. In essence, here's what David is longing for. He's yearning for the, the sanctuary again. So I've looked upon you. Remember the times in the sanctuary where he came into the temple or the church and, and he used to counter the living God. I remember those times and I want that experience again where I can behold your power and your glory. He wasn't in this place longing for the religious rituals and he wasn't longing for the temple per se. He was longing for that place where he could once again see and experience the glory and the power of God. That's what the temple was. It's a place where people went to meet with God and encounter God. Where they could behold God. Here's what truly loving God is. It's not just desiring God, it's beholding. See that word behold there? Circle that one, beholding your power and your glory. Loving God is beholding God, being captivated by the reality of God again, getting my gaze upon God. Two things he asks, he sets his heart upon, beholding the power and the glory of God. Think of the power of God. When was the last time you stopped to behold the power of your God? The God who created everything in this universe with just a word. The God who can snap and this whole thing comes apart or snap again, it all comes back together. When was the last time you stopped to behold the power of your God? Well, I get it, life's busy, right? Life's, life's so busy and we have a lot of things to behold. We have to behold our families. We have to behold our jobs. We have to behold all the responsibilities we have. But, but here's, here's what God wants you to behold more than all those things. Those things are important, but to behold the power of your God again. I think of beholding the power of God. I think, think of those times when, when, when the thunder is crashing, the lightning is flying, and you're know, sitting at your window going like, wow. You know those times? where the sky's lighting up like crazy and every time the sky lights up, there's a thunder that comes and you, you just sit there and the kids are under their bed hiding and you're at the window going, this is awesome, come see, come see. Why? Because it reminds you of how powerful God is and how majestic and how mighty God is beholding the power of your God. To love God means we behold the power of God. It also means we behold the glory of God. The glory of God is the splendor and the honor and the beauty of God. It's one thing to behold his power. It's another thing to behold his beauty. When I think of beholding the beauty of God, I think of those morning sunsets or those evening, the morning sunrise, those evening sunsets. You know the morning sunrise, you get up and you're the only one up and the window's open. The sun is just glistening off the dew of the trees and, and it's bright, it's so bright you can't see and you sit in the window like, just basking, not just in the warmth but in the wonder of the sun coming up. Or the sunset and the sky is full of all kinds of colors of red and orange and red skies at night, sailor's delight, right? And so you're sitting there and you're just like, wow, this is spectacular. Who could paint a picture like this? Nobody Picture this a glimpse of the beauty and the glory of God. Here's where David's at. He's in this place of wilderness. Notice you can be in the wilderness in your soul and have the fullness of God on the inside. He's in this place where he's stopping to once again behold God. This is what it means to love God, to behold God. To ask God to bring you to a place again where, there, there, where, where you're just yearning for a glimpse of God. Where, where words, again, aren't enough to spell it out, where emotions 
can't be held back where time stands still and I just want to stand in awe again of God. This is how I show God I love him and find deep joy and satisfaction in my soul by simply beholding him. By simply beholding him. Again, go to the repertoire of relationships to help you understand this. I remember like it was yesterday, September 25th, 1999. There I was all in my tux at the front of the church, sweating bullets, looking the best I've ever looked in my life because I actually took time to comb my hair and all that stuff. And best friends with me standing at the front of the church waiting for those back doors to open. And you remember seeing the bridesmaids come down, to be honest. I know who was in the, the party. I don't remember even seeing them come down. I remember those like transfixed on the back. I remember, remember those doors being swung wide open and in that moment of like, honestly, it almost took my breath away. I remember like, I'm not a cry, I'm not a big cry. I remember like the lump in my throat coming. I remember the tears welling up. I remember all I could, apparently I did this when I was at the front. Everyone told me that people who were watching me instead of watching Ruth, they said, you just went, wow. I don't remember doing that. I just sort of like, what happened? I just remember like, wow. I remember watching all the way up the aisle, like every step thinking like, this, is this for real? Like, why would she want to marry me? I'm looking like, pinch me something. In that moment, I couldn't think of anything else. I didn't want to think of anything else. I, was, uh, I didn't want to elevate anyone else in the world. I just, I just wanted to, to behold my bride. I knew this was only going to be a short half an hour, so I just soak it in and, and remember it. And, and Never forget that moment. Video can't do it justice. Even retelling a story can't fully grab the intensity and the beauty of that very moment. I couldn't not behold my bride. I just couldn't not. When you catch a glimpse of God, when you catch a glimpse of the power and the glory of God, guess what? You can't not behold your God. If there's anything in you that, that sees God and then wants to turn and keep going, you have to stop again. It's the, take another look. Take another look. He's the most beautiful, most glorious person you will ever encounter in your life, the God of the universe who loves you and sent his son to die that you might have a relationship with him. He is the most beautiful, glorious person in this universe. And to love God means you take time out of your life to behold him again. Once again, be in this surreal moment where you realize that you're standing before one who is too magnificent for you. One that is too beautiful to truly fathom, to be drawn, to desire, to elevate one person above all others. And this is, this is where David finds himself. This is what it truly means to love God. Oh, forget about the lip service, brothers and sisters. Forget about, well, I sang that song, so I love God, and I'm doing all the right things. No, what God wants from us is this kind of love to behold. Look what David says in verse three, because your steadfast love is, read it with me, your steadfast love is what? What can make it better than, than seeing God and being connected with God? And so because steadfast love is better than life, this is our life, God is our life. He is what we live for, what we desire, what we long for. This is God. So he says, my lips shall praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. You're like, he's blessing God. Doesn't God bless us? Well, to bless God means that I praise God. I glorify in God. I worship God. 
David's basically saying here, it's equivalent to my, wow. Even in the desert, we can have, wow, moments. As we once again behold the glory of God. To truly love God is to behold him. To feast our eyes upon him, to fix our gaze upon him. To behold his son. If you don't think God is worth beholding, read Colossians 1, verses 13 to 19. Let me read it for you. Colossians 1, verses 13 to 19. This is what it means to behold the Son of God. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Get this, he is the image of the invisible God. Stop and behold this morning with me. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things are created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I don't know how you can read that passage and not somehow be like quickened to behold the glory of God. It's not just God. It's God. It's not just Jesus, my Savior. It's Jesus, my Savior. I believe we have to get back to, as individuals in the church, simply beholding God. And stop beholding the things of this world. We, we, we talk about beholding God a lot, but we behold the things of this world far more easily, and it comes far more naturally to us. John Owen says this about beholding God. In his book, The Glory of Christ, on Christ's glory, I would fix all my thoughts and desires. And the more I see of the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes, and I will become more and more crucified to this world. It will become to me like something dead and putrid, impossible for me to enjoy. Why? Because our true enjoyment is found truly and fully in Jesus Christ and beholding him. And honestly, it's not hard to turn aside from the world when we're beholding God. It's not like I have to now turn aside from the world and behold God. No, no, I get to behold my God. The things of this world don't mean anything to me anymore because I see the glory and the beauty right before me that I was created to know and see in a soul-satisfying way. When you truly behold the glory of God, you won't have to try to love God. You will love God. Feel you're like, I just can't love God. I don't know how to love God. I'm trying so hard to love God. Just behold God's glory again. But pastor, I battle with all the things of this world. Yeah, your pastor does too. And they seem so much more glorious, don't they? You know what our problem is? Our problem is that we've forgotten to behold the glory of God. When you behold the glory of God, all the joys of this life seem like nothing. Family and health and food and friendship and even sexual relationships and job satisfaction and productivity and books and skateboards and computers and music and home and sunsets and fall colors. All those things are okay. Not compared to the beauty of our God. 
not compared to the glory and the power of our God. How do we love God more? Simply this, to be lost and in awe of God, that's how we love God more. To be lost and in awe of God. Not taking him for granted or becoming comfortable with him or thinking he's not more special than anyone else. Look again. See his power and his glory, what sets him apart. Spend more time like David complimenting him and praising him rather than asking him for things and and demanding things of him. Stop and behold the glory of God again. Let me encourage you this. You're never too busy to stop for what matters most to you. You're just never too busy to stop for what matters most to you. We drive the car and we're on our way somewhere. We see a sunset, we stop. We see a rainbow, we pull over. Why? Because you just can't pass that moment up. You're never too busy to behold God. If you're too busy to behold God, then something else has become your God. We all worship something. Every one of us has this innate desire to worship something, so we all worship something, whether it's our our jobs or our families or our friends or ourselves, we all worship. So the moment we think, well, to behold God, I just, I'd love to behold God, but I haven't beheld God in a year, and, and, and I don't know if I can ever fit God back into my schedule. You know what it means? It means that, 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 that you're worshiping a false idol. You're worshiping something other than God. No matter how many times you say it, you really don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because loving God is beholding God. Loving God is beholding God. I encourage you as individuals, as families, as a church to keep beholding God. Fight to behold God. Don't just make it a part of your day, but, 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 but make it a priority of your heart to, to fight for pursuing the glory of God. If what you're doing right now isn't working, like find a different way to behold the glory of God. Get the Bible open, get people praying, get worship music on, whatever you gotta do, get outside in nature, but behold the glory of God. Remind yourself the awesome reality of your salvation. Remind yourself that there is nothing greater than knowing Jesus Christ. Refocus your heart on him. Renew your commitment to worship him and resolve that he will be the sole object of your affection. Because only when that's true are you'll truly be satisfied. The way God's created us, you won't be satisfied making anything or anybody else the object of your affection other than God. That brings us to our last point, point number three. Point number three. I know I truly love God with all that I am when I find my true satisfaction in him alone. Verse five, here's what the psalmist says. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you've been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Get this, verse eight. My soul clings to you. My, your right hand upholds me. But for everyone else, they're gonna fizzle and fade and ultimately perish. But the king... David shall rejoice in God and all who swear by him shall exalt for the mouths of liars will be stopped. To truly love God means that my ultimate satisfaction is found in him alone. 
If you're a believer today, you have an inherent spiritual appetite for God and only God satisfies it. David is making a clear parallel here between eating food and your physical satisfaction and God being your spiritual satisfaction. He's, he's, he's thinking back to times in the wilderness, he's thinking back to times when he used to eat of the, the best of the best and today we chop all the fat off. Back in their day, they left it on because that's what made the food so full of, of richness and so full of flavor and so, so full. And so he's, he's basically saying, you know, I mean, you know those times you eat those big spiritual meals, you're just done, you're like, ah, that was so good. You know those times? Only to find yourself like three, four hours later hungry again. What David's saying is, is when we pursue God and, and, and behold God and worship God, we can be spiritually satisfied after eating your favorite, like you are after eating your favorite meal, but here's the reality, but you never have to go hungry again. Because God is the one that satisfies you eternally forever. My soul will be satisfied. You ask God to help you desire him and you make God the object of your, the number one object of your pursuits. You be, start beholding God again. You, you'll, find, you'll find your soul be satisfied. Your soul will be satisfied. Stop nibbling on the things of this world and you'll find your soul will be satisfied. God has prepared for you a spiritual feast in himself. Spiritual feast that totally satisfies every longing of your soul. Oh, how often we miss it. Oh, how we can't afford to miss that spiritual feast that God has promised us. I think of often how I come home from work and I'm so hungry for my, my day and, I, and I, I can smell dinner on the, on the, in the oven or dinner you know, getting ready and I, I come busting in, once, what's, for, what's for supper, honey? I'm so hungry. She's like, give me 10 minutes. It's gonna be ready. It's delicious. I've thought of you all day. It's the best, your favorite meal. And, and so as she's preparing, you know what I'm doing? I'm digging in for snackers and my cream cheese. <laughs> or Chips. He's like, what are you doing? Well, I'm just so hungry. I just want to satisfy. He's like, but and then I come down to eat dinner, and guess what? I'm already full from everything else, and what was truly there, I don't even get a chance to enjoy and to be satisfied with because I've spent myself snacking and all the other things. That somehow don't even, you sit there and you're watching everyone else eat, and you're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have eaten all that stuff because that looks delicious. Oh, how spiritually we do the same thing. Oh, how spiritually we know that our satisfaction is in God and yet, yet we, we keep coming to the things of the world saying, this will satisfy me, this will satisfy me, this will satisfy me, and girls will satisfy me, or boys will satisfy me, or material things will satisfy me, or all these things will satisfy me. My iPhone's gonna satisfy me, TV's gonna satisfy me, shopping's gonna satisfy me, sculpting my body's gonna satisfy me. We nibble, we nibble, we nibble, and yet we don't truly love God by being satisfied in God. And then we miss out on God. Here's how John Piper says it, which is so powerful. It's like nibbling. Here's what John Piper says. This is the essence of what it means to love God. To be satisfied in him. In him. Not just his gifts, but God himself. As the glorious person that he is, loving God will include obeying all his commands. It will include believing all his word. It will include thanking him for all of his gifts, but all that is overflow. The essence of loving God is admiring and enjoying all he is, and it is this enjoyment of God that makes all of our other responses truly glorifying to God. 
To love God is to be satisfied in God. That's what it means to love God, to be satisfied in God alone. Think about this, how often our dissatisfaction in God alone leads us to sin. Think how often our dissatisfaction in God alone leads us to sin. It's, I, think, I think it was Piper that said it also. It's the root of all sin is, is pride and dissatisfaction. Think about this. Why do people cheat on their spouses? Because they're dissatisfied with God. Why do people abuse drugs and alcohol? Because they're dissatisfied. They're not finding their satisfaction in God. Why do people mindlessly binge watch ridiculous amounts of TV? Because they've lost their satisfaction in God. Why do they shop until they drop? Even when it's a detriment to their families and stuff themselves to unhealthy proportions and obsess over their bodies like they're a God and scroll endlessly on Facebook and Twitter. Why do people steal and also even commit suicide? All these things. And more happen because people haven't found their satisfaction, their happiness, and where God has designed them to in Him. If you're dissatisfied today, it's not because God has changed, it's not because you need something else. What you need again is to long for God and behold God and love God with all that you are. Because in God is all that you could ever want. Everything you're your soul wants to be satisfied with is only found in God. Listen to these verses, John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Come to me and you will not hunger. Believe in me and you shall never thirst. Psalm 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. Psalm 22, 26, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Psalm 16, 11, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is what it means to truly love Jesus. It's truly to be satisfied in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You know how freeing that is? You know how life-giving that is? You know how glorifying to God that is? God loves you and gave his son for you that you would love him in return. When you love God, you get God. Nothing more, nothing less. And he is all you need. You know those old MasterCard commercials? For the Elsers MasterCard, you know? Priceless. There's nothing else. There's one priceless. It's loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Makes me think of the song that Jeremy Camp wrote. It's this. It's Give Me Jesus, it's called. Give me Jesus. I've been praying all week that God will return my heart there and your hearts there. Give me Jesus. Forget the silly things we long after. Forget the silly things we behold. Give me Jesus. Here's what Jeremy Camp says in his song. In the morning when I rise, just give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have this whole world. Just give me Jesus. When I'm alone, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have this whole world. Just give me Jesus. When I come to die... Give me Jesus. J. 
Just give me Jesus. You can have this whole world. Just give me Jesus. Do you love God this morning? No, I mean really love God. Do you really love God this morning? He's awesome. He's glorious. He gave you everything that he has, including his son. He's preparing a home for you in heaven. All that stuff is good, but you know what he wants more than anything else? He wants you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that you can have joy and satisfaction and the fulfillment that he designed you for that's only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm praying this morning that this will inspire you and encourage you to even make different, make change in your life this week. What's your number one goal? I'm gonna desire God by God's grace. God, help me desire you. I'm not too busy to behold God. That's where it all starts. And this week, I'm going to get back to what matters most, loving God. Let me pray. God, as we close uh, this morning, think of the words of the poem, a poem I read this week that say this. Day by day, dear Lord, of, dear Lord of thee, three things I pray, to see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, to follow you more nearly. God, I pray that you would allow this word to penetrate the very beings of our souls. That God, you'd even change the desires of our hearts right now, that we wouldn't want anything else this week but you that you give us a holy craving, Lord, for the presence of our God, that we desire to get our Bibles open and commune with you through your word, that we, throughout the day, just walk in step with the Holy Spirit, basking in the reality that we have a God who is infinite, yet we have a God who is intimate at the same time. Oh God, let us not be satisfied with anything else but you and only you, oh God. Forgive us, Lord, forgive us for the times we put our hope in the things of this world. We've indulged ourselves in the things that we thought were going to bring us satisfaction only to find that they are empty and yet we go to the next and the next and the next. Oh God, today, would there even be some in this place today that would turn to you and say, God, I'm done with pursuing anything else. I know where it leads. It's futile. It's empty. It's void. God, would I turn to Jesus now and pursue you? God, would you even cause some here that have wandered, Lord, or are wandering, didn't even realize they were wandering until the sermon. Would you bring them back, oh God, and fill them with a love of Jesus, a longing for Jesus? God, for those who are following you, there's none of us in this room that can, we can say we're doing it perfectly. Every one of us says, can say that, God, we need to love you more. We want to love you more. God, stir within us greater affections for the one that matters most, the one that we so desperately need and long for, Jesus Christ. When all is said, is done, when all, when all is said and done this morning, God, I pray this. Don't let us walk out of here this morning. without hearts that truly desire you as a deer pants for the water. So our hearts, oh God, may desire you. Would you stir every one of us, God, however you see fit, every one of us, to love you in a greater way this week, this day, for your glory in Jesus' name.